and welcome back to the Heart to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 99. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. Kyrios wins the singles and doubles titles in D.C. and his three-year title drought. Um, congratulations to Kyrios and his three-year singles title drought. Congratulations to Kyrios winning singles and doubles in D.C. at the City Open. First player ever to do that. So shout out to Kyrios who's having an amazing year. Also, shout out to Federer. Today is his 41st birthday. Happy birthday to Roger Federer. Uh, you know, we all hope to see him back on the court soon. He is scheduled to play at Labor Cup. He is scheduled to play in Switzerland's um, ATP tournament later this year. So happy birthday, Federer. Hopefully you're having a good day. Hopefully that knee is resting up and you're getting some good recovery time today. And the Premier League started this last weekend. United lose 2-1. To Brighton, they look awful. They they're disgusting. Their midfield is trash. That defense can't stop anybody. Ronaldo wants out. There's just so much turmoil in that franchise. It's, it's just you can't see the light. You can't see the light. Fergie's not there no more. He's not walking through those doors. And there's just seems to be no light at the end of the tunnel for United. And on the other side of Manchester, Manchester City beat West Ham 2-0. Holland scores two in his debut. Um, shows his great movement, shows his clinical finish. City already two points ahead of Liverpool in the title race after match day one. But all of that on this episode of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Kyrgios is the first player in the history of the City Open in D.C. to win the title for singles and doubles on the men's side. Um, he breaks his three-year title drought. It had been three years since he had won a title. And surprisingly, it was at in D.C. that he let, he won his last singles title. And he does it again. Um, he didn't get broken all week. Held his serve all week. Um, looked comfortable for the most part. Um, was able to show up in some tie breaks. And had a really entertaining match against Tiafo. I think that was probably the most entertaining one out of the whole week. Uh, nothing against Nishoka, who had an incredible week. Nishoka came into the tournament on a losing streak. Wasn't, you know, the hottest player on tour, but had a great week, especially in the semifinals, defeating Rublev. Um, so, you know, shout out to Nishoka for getting to the final. But he always, Kyrgios always looked in control in the finals, beating him 6-4, 6-3, breaking him in the first game of both sets. So it, after that, after he broke him in the first game, of each set and Nishoka served first on both sets so he got broken like right away it, it was it was almost like a given that he was going to win the first and second set once he broke Nishoka to start each set Kyrgios didn't get bro- broken all week he he broke Nishoka to start each set it was a wrap it was a wrap Nishoka did play better in both sets as it progressed but he was never able to really put pressure on Kyrgios and really uh, like you know, make the match interesting. Any of the sets, it really looked like once Kyrgios broke Nishoka, it, it was a wrap. Kyrgios was going to be able to hold his serve. And Nishoka was, you know, just fighting to stay alive, fighting to hold his serve and hopefully find a way to break Kyrgios for the first time in the week. And it didn't happen. So shout out to Kyrgios, who's playing some of his best tennis of his career. I would say he's playing his best tennis um, finals in Wimbledon. Uh, quarterfinals at Indian Wells. He's gone deep in almost every single tournament that he's played this year. 
he wins back-to-back titles as well. Um, he won in Atlanta with Kokonakis. He wins right here in D.C. with Jack Sock. So he's just killing it in singles. He's killing it in doubles. Kirill seems to be taking his tennis seriously. He still has his outbursts. He still, you know, gets into it with the official, with the umpire. He still, um, you know, does a lot of trick shots, uh, goes for the spectacular. Um, during this tournament, he he had, you know, his tweeners. He even attempted to go behind the back on one of them, missed it by, like, this much. He's still very entertaining. Like I said, his match this week against Tiafo was exquisite. Like, I'm a fan of both of them. I love Kyrgios. Um, I wouldn't say I love him. I love his entertaining. I, I could do with less of his antics and arguing and all that stuff. But I do love his game. And Tiafo, even though he's he's known to choke some leads and not be able to close some games, I think Tiafo is super entertaining too. Like I, I really like Tiafo. Like he's one of my favorite players. So when it was Kyrgios versus Tiafo, like I knew it was gonna be a great match. It was gonna be an entertaining match. They're they're both probably the the players on tour that know how to interact with the crowd the best. Like really like get involved. Um, Kyrgios would go up to you know people on the stands and ask him where he should serve. I think that really keeps the, the the audience entertained. It's like something different. Tiafo, after some points, he goes and high fives the crowd, keeps everyone pumped. Like the energy from that game was just exquisite. Like I think that's where tennis needs to go to attract a younger crowd to break away from that. You know, gentlemen. I know that's part of the history, but if tennis wants to evolve, wants to attract the modern fans, I think that's where it needs to go. Not necessarily the antics by Kyrgios, but you know, asking the fans where to serve, you know, giving some high fives after a good rally, after good good points, really pumping up the crowd. Like, I think that's all good for the sport. But overall, you know, Kirill's is killing it right now. He's killing it. He, back-to-back doubles titles, wins his first singles title in three years at the City Open. Um, I thought he was going to take a break after such a grueling schedule these last two weeks, but he is scheduled to play at Montreal tomorrow versus Baez. And if he beats Baez... Baez, he should be on a collision course to play against Medvedev in the round, second round of the Montreal Open. And that would be amazing. Like, they played earlier this year at the Australian Open, and that was Kyrgios barely coming into form, barely coming back from, you know, two years of being a part-time tennis player. Right now, Kyrgios is in the thick of it. If anything, is the complete opposite. Like, when the Australian Open, out of form, coming back from being a part-time player, for the last part of two years. And now Kyrgios is going into this after two grueling weeks. The last month and a half, two months, he's been like really going at it at tennis. So if anything, this is the opposite. He might be feeling some fatigue, but his fitness looks good. He he seems to be enjoying his tennis. I follow him on Instagram. He seems to be having a good time. He, he seems like his girlfriend really changed his life. Um, he seems to have just a way more positive outlook and he looks happy. So I think that really translates to his tennis. And like I said, all the antics and all, you know, the personal stuff away, we'll see how his case resolves um, outside of tennis. But his tennis on the court has been entertaining, super entertaining. It's, it's fun to watch. And we honestly got to talk about Kyrgios being one of the favorites to win the U.S. Open, especially if Nadal's not there, if Djokovic is not there. Um Medvedev, you know, is still getting back into form from not playing Wimbledon injuries and all that stuff. 
Kyrgios legit has to be like a top five contender for the U.S. Open. And depending on how he does in Cincinnati and Montreal, like he could be seated and he could be one of the, you know, dangerous players going into the U.S. Open. But like I said, congratulations to Kyrgios for winning the doubles and singles at NDC, the first male player to do that. Shout out Kyrgios. And also, happy birthday to Roger Federer. He turns 41 years old. Um, shout out to Federer for still, you know, not hanging it up. It could be easy. Somebody, Someone else might have hung it up, might have succumbed to the injuries. You know, just accepted the career that he had, 20 Grand Slams. And many people, the GOAT, the GOAT, you know, obviously some people think it's Nadal or Djokovic. But for a lot of people, it's Federer. You know, he could call it, but... I really appreciate the fact that he's trying to go at it, trying to go out by his own means. And, um, you know, as a fan, I hope he is able to play at the highest level again. Like, I hope he's able to compete for at least, like, one more Grand Slam. If it's, you know, Wimbledon, where he's been so dominant for so many years, that would be great to see Roger Federer rocking the all-white, seeing his luscious hair, you know, move as he hits the ball. That would be great. But if, if if that's not what we're able to get, then, you know, we'll, we'll still appreciate everything that Federer did for the sport. But this is a day of celebration. It's his 41st birthday. You know, let's just highlight all the positive things. He's the smoothest player ever. If you ever saw Federer play, he's like, he's so graceful. It's like he's doing valet while playing. Like, he's just so graceful and he looks so elegant and it just looks like this is how tennis is supposed to be played like everyone's supposed to look this graceful playing um but yeah i'm excited to see him this year he is scheduled to come back from his knee that's kept him out since i believe he hasn't played he i know he withdrew from the french open last year and then he played like a set like a game or two at Wimbledon. So it's been over a year since he's played. I think his last match that he played was at Wimbledon 2021. So I'm very excited to see him at Labor Cup where he's going to be with Nadal, Djokovic, and Andy Murray. So that's going to be amazing. Um, we'll see if he plays any singles matches there. I doubt, I doubt he'll play any singles matches, but I'm excited to see him play some doubles, especially if he teams up with Nadal. That'll be amazing seeing them play together one last time. And they'll be even though they're not going against each other, just seeing them at on the court at the same time will be amazing. Hopefully his knees can hold up. But like I said, happy birthday, Roger Federer, 41 years old, pushing boundaries for how long tennis players could play. Uh, we see it all over sports nowadays, Brady with football, uh, LeBron James in basketball, Federer in tennis. Hopefully he's able to come back. Modern te technology, modern medicine is so uh, advanced now that players could really play you know, into their 40s. And hopefully that's the case with Federer, too. Like, I would love to see, like, another, like, at least another year of Federer on tour. At least play all the Grand Slams and play some of the key Master 1000s. I think that will be great. But happy birthday, Roger Federer, and I'm very excited to see you on tour again soon. But changing topics, the Premier League was back this past weekend. Amazing, amazing stuff. We finally have stuff to watch here in the U.S. on our Saturdays and Sunday mornings. But it wasn't all, you know, cheers and joyfulness for all the teams. United lose 2-1 to Brighton. And to be honest, they look pretty awful. They don't they don't look like they've progressed. They don't look like um, they've changed their style too much. 
Um, they pretty much need help everywhere. Like if we keep it 100, like the midfield is trash. They can't hold. They they can't recover the ball. They can't hold the ball. They can't create chances for their top players, for their attackers, and their attackers are just not on form either. Rashford hasn't been good enough. Bruno Fernandez hasn't assisted in what seems like forever. Sancho has been a flop with United, and I know it's you know it can't all be put on him. The system and all the turmoil and all the you know different coaches and all that, but Sancho has not lived up to the billing. With all the hype that he came from Dortmund, Ronaldo wants out. You know that's a sour situation. Uh, one of the club legends wanting out. Uh, a lot of you know changes. Coach wants to play a certain way. Does Ronaldo fit in there? Um, n- another club doesn't want him. They don't want to play the wages. Like it's a weird situation to have Ronaldo wanting out. The team being in turmoil. Not many clubs wanting Ronaldo at the wages that he demands. It's just such a tricky situation, but. One thing that can be said is that United are nowhere near able to compete. They're just nowhere near. They're nowhere near where they need to be. Like, whether it be the board, whether it be the players, whether it be the scheme. Like, they are so far away from being an elite team. Like, it's very alarming to see United this bad and, like, not really progressing or showing any signs of improvement over like a period of five years because they were kind of up and down. Mourinho gave them a little bit of success and that's one of the mistakes that they made back like four or five years ago, letting Mourinho go when he kind of has a project and he has a track record and they should have trusted him. And, you know, every time you look back at what Mourinho said when he was at United, he keeps being proven right. But ever since Mourinho left... Five, like four or five years ago, it's just been like no glory for United. They haven't won a championship in forever. They haven't really competed at all since he left. Like I know they had second place with um, like two years ago, but they were like a distant second place or third place. Like they were not really in the title race, regardless of their finish or of their table finish. They weren't really in the race. They've never really been in the race since Murillo left and it's just it's been awful dude it's just it's just trash I feel for United fans I feel for everyone in that situation like I'm sure these guys they're not bad guys like Sancho looks like such every time he plays for England and I see videos of players react on England's channel for the national team on YouTube it's like damn he seems like a good guy he seems like a guy that just you know enjoys his his football and like wants to have fun and Rashford, he's done so much charity and he's like fed people during the pandemic and he, he's such a charitable guy and he seems to like stand up against racism, have a voice, represent, you know, the Premier League at its highest level and like social issues and, you know, just being a guy in the community. He seems like he's a great guy, but on the field, he just can't get it right. He just can't make a difference and he hasn't made a difference in what seems like forever. And Fred and McTominay, like, I'm sure they're good people too, but they're just not good enough. They're just not good enough for United. And it's there There needs to be some changes. And, like, we've been saying this forever, so it's just when is it going to happen? When is it going to – when are we going to – when when are they going to turn the corner? It just seems like coach after coach after coach, signing after signing is just not getting fixed. So, like, what do they do? Like, at this point, like – like United just seem to be sinking and sinking and sinking. So I don't know where they go. Like right now they're talking about 
bring in um, Rabia <laughs> to to fortify their their midfielder. And if you've seen Rabia with with PSG, he was pretty good. He was decent. He wasn't bad. With Juventus, he's been a big disappointment. He, he's slow. He looks, you know, like not just slow in his movement, but slow in his decisions. Slow with the ball on his on his foot. And, you know, it just makes me appreciate Real Madrid so much more. Just having that midfield of Cruz and Modric and Casemiro and having Valverde and all the signings that we've made. Cavaminga, like, it's just, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so happy to be a Real Madrid fan and how they're able to just keep, you know, cycling through these generations and how they were actually able to, you know, succeed after Ronaldo left and, you know, retool the roster and keep winning, keep being an important team. Because you see these other great teams um, just struggle, have these cycles, have these like generation cycles, like 10 plus years where they're not relevant. And United are deeply entrenched in that cycle right now. They're definitely one of those teams where you're like, damn, what happened to these guys? They used to be so historic. They used to be mainstays at the top of the table, winning leagues, competing for every, you know, cup. And now they're, now they're, you're just like, yo, what's wrong with this team? And like, I'm thinking of Milan, United, like, there's like even Barcelona a little bit right now with like they can't even pay their players. They got to, they're, they're threatening to sue their own players. Like it, it's tough seeing teams go through this. So it's a shame that United's going through this. It's a shame. It's a shame that Ronaldo's going through this in his last few years. You you would like to see him, even if you're not a Ronaldo fan, you would like to see one of the greats. You know, go to a team like retire at the top or com- competing like. I want to see Messi versus Ronaldo in the Champions League again. And Ronaldo's not in the Champions League this year. It doesn't look like he's going to get a move to a team in the Champions League. It's just, uh, what's going to happen with United, guys? How how do you fix United? Like, how? Like, <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. Rabia is not the solution. And Fred and McTominay are not, are not the solution. And, you know, how do you fix this? How do you fix United? Like, do they need a... Like McGuire, McGuire's like they bought him for eighty million. That's insane. And De Gea has regressed. He doesn't look like the keeper that he once was. So yeah, Eric Ten- Eric Ten Hag, he has a full plate. He definitely has a full plate. He he has a tough task at hand, and we'll see how he progresses. We'll see how he handles it. Um, I do, I do rate him as a good, as a good coach. I do rate him. I do think that, you know, he's a man for the job. If any, could, if anyone could fix this, you know, I, could, I really believe in him. But United need to get active these last few weeks of the transfer market. They need to sign some people. They need to like just throw money at the problem and just hope that it fixes itself. Once you, you know, get some quality players in there, hope that the system that he brings with him picks up once they get quality more quality players but right now it's it's ugly it's tough um yeah it's just it's just not good not good to start you know losing against brighton at home and if they lose that Bretford away this next weekend then you know it could get ugly uglier and on the flip side manchester city just keep making correct signing after correct signing 
They keep strengthening their squad, and you have to look nowhere further than you know their victory against West Ham this weekend, where Holland scores two goals. They beat them 2-0, and Holland is the star. He makes his debut in the Premier League, and he looks you know he looks class. He looks like a class player. He looks like he belongs. He looks like he's going to be a menace this whole season. He could realistically score 30, 40 goals his four, in all competitions his first full season with City. Like, it just looks like they're going to give him so many chances. City, who has already been known to just create chances like crazy. When you have, you know, the players that you you have, you have Haaland, you got Foden, you got Grealish, you got Gundogan, you got De Bruyne, you even got Rodri, who's a class player himself. And then in the bench, you have Kelvin Phillips, who they got from from Leeds. You have Bernardo Silva, Riyad Mahrez, like... This team is so stacked, and they're going to be able to just, you know, rotate everybody. Everyone could pretty much play any position in the midfield and up top. You could interchange Foden, like, as a winger, as a midfielder. Uh, De Bruyne can play as a winger, as a midfielder, as a false nine. Gundogan himself, like, like this team has so much flexibility, and they're all very creative, um, especially De Bruyne and Silva. Like, they're just great at creating passes. Grealish, too. He could propose a one-on-one against anyone on the on the edge and just create a chance. Foden's amazing too. This team's so dangerous, and the one thing that they were lacking was a killer nine, just a finisher, just a poacher, just someone that understands how to move in the box and how to make runs behind the defense. And Haaland is just amazing at doing that. He's just class. That's one of the best things that he does is just knowing how to make runs and getting behind on the defense. And we saw that on his second goal where he got behind the defense. And, you know, he basically put the game away. And it looks like they're going to give him the penalties too. So his goal tally is definitely going to be like an insane number. Like he could really have one of the best debut seasons ever in the Premier League. That's how, like, that's how ecstatic I am for Holland after seeing the first the first uh, match he plays under Manchester City. Like it's scary. And... If you're a Liverpool fan, you know, it's pretty much going to come Liverpool versus City again. I don't think Chelsea has made the necessary moves to make it a three-horse race. And obviously United is, and don't even start with United. Um, who else could really compete? Tottenham. Um, I don't think they, they have the roster either. We'll see. I do like their coach, so he might be able to keep them in the race, keep them up there. But realistically, it's going to come down between City and Liverpool. And Liverpool already dropped points, so they're two points behind on on City, and City played a tougher opponent uh, against West Ham, so we'll see how it goes. But to have Holland in space, so dangerous. Um, for the most part, City's going to play with the lead, and the other, the other team is going to have to, you know, take the initiative and, you know, move their lines up. And that's that's even scarier, having Holland with space in the back, able to make runs. It's, ooh, it's... It's a really it's really a scary sight to think about. And to be honest, if if Liverpool starts slow and they already kinda did, but if they don't pick it up, if they don't like just start racking up wins, um, it could it could get out of hand easily. Like it could really get out of hand. Like with Holland, with the roster that they got, and City, you know, they got Bournemouth next. That should be that should be easy dub. And they got Newcastle, that would be a little tougher. Crystal Palace. Like they don't have the, the toughest schedule to start the season. So if Liverpool have another hiccup, 
and you're like in week five, week six, and you're looking like at a six, seven point deficit, it might be a wrap like that quick. That's how deep the city team is. And like they were already amazing last year. Um, a lot of people thought they were going to like treble it and win like the league, the, the cup and the Champions League. And they only got better. They they just signed probably the best number nine, second best number nine, Benzema's class, best number nine. But they pretty much signed a top three number nine in the world. Lewandowski's still up there, even though he's a Barcelona player. But still got to give him the respect. They signed a top three number nine in the world to this already amazing team, and they didn't really lose too much other than like Sterling and um, the Brazilian Jesus. But they you know they pretty much upgraded everywhere, so. It's scary, dude. It's scary. But like I said, winning league, Premier League, probably the most competitive league in the world. It's it's great. It's amazing. Don't get it wrong. And I know Pep and, you know, all the City fans, wherever they are or however many they are, are going to try to argue that the Premier League, winning the Premier League is tougher than winning the Champions League. We all know that's just a bunch of crap. You know, that's all. They're just bullshitting. They need to win the Champions League. Like this team, it's it's Champs League or bust. It really is. I know they're going to celebrate a Premier League and it's going to be amazing and it's going to be great and there's probably, Liverpool's probably going to make it a raise, but it really is Champions League or bust. And that, I don't want to diminish the Premier League season. It's going to be great. I'm going to be talking about it the whole season. But for Manchester City, it's really Championship or bust. Like, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. It's Championship or bust. But just looking at Holland. He might be what sets them, pushes them over the top. Like, he really had that good of a game. Like, I'm super, I'm not even a City fan, and I'm super excited to see him play. And I liked his performance. So, take that as you will. But I, the way I took it, City have really improved their team by signing Holland. Like, we kind of already knew that. But there was some naysayers in the preseason because, you know, he, <laughs> it was funny too. Like, he kind of struggled a little bit, and he he missed some chances. And, like, Twitter was already joking, like, City needs to send Holland on loan. That was hilarious. Like, when I saw that, I was like, man, I love the internet. Like, oh, you can't do anything on the internet because you get bagged and you get clowned on. But it's it's all jokes. It's, it was fun. <laughs> and then people took it seriously. Like, oh, my God, like they just signed him. He's, he's their key player. They're not going to send him on loan. But, yeah, it was funny. And, you know, everybody gets a little hate on the internet. But Champions League or bust for City. And I really do think they might run away with the Premier League. But that should do it for this episode of the Hearts Handle Sports Podcast. Episode number 99. We almost made it to 100, guys. If you've, you know, wherever you joined us on this path to 100 episodes, I thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I know there's so many sports podcasts out there, but if you listen to this one, obviously not too regularly because i haven't been on the best schedule but if you listen to this at any point i really appreciate you and i hope you have a great rest of your day peace